but my whole life has been changing since. I would go to the CrossFit gym for like an hour and and um it would be it was fun. I enjoy it. I like the competition, but it would be more like the thing that I was supposed to do so that I could be in shape. But because of trails, I'm in the absolute best shape of my whole life now today after 2 years of of riding and getting out in the sun more often than even when I was 26 and you know I just I feel way better way happier uh, it's random because I'm also because of trails Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 72 features Adam A. Adams, the host of the podcast on podcasting. You might be wondering why another podcast host is being featured on the Trail Effect podcast. Well, there are a couple reasons. We're actually doing a podcast swap where I am featured on Adam's podcast as well, since podcast guest swaps are a great way to grow your audience. Adam is also a newer mountain biker who is living in the front range of Colorado. Adam provides some great insight regarding what he is looking for in terms of trails and how mountain biking has impacted his life in a very positive way. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has the full NF components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. Additional support for Trail Effect comes from Giants Ridge Bike Park and Ride the Range in northern Minnesota. Check out Volume 1 of the Range Report that came out on Thursday, May 26th. Also stay tuned for Volume 2 of the Range Report which will go live on Thursday, June 10th. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the trail effect with Adam A. Adams. I don't know. I have three backups right now. I have three right now because Squadcast has a backup. There's two backups with Squadcast and then the one on my desk. So I've I've learned the hard way. It's one of my failures out of many. Today on Trail Effect, we have Adam A. Adams. Adam is the host of the podcast on podcasting. He is also the owner of Grow Your Show, which is a, a podcast company that is all about growing podcasts, which is pretty incredible. And we're going to learn about how Adam wasn't originally a podcaster, nor was he originally a mountain biker. And although he's been podcasting for quite a bit longer than mountain biking. And you got into mountain biking at a time when a lot of people got into mountain biking and got into trail use during 2020. And that was a huge explosion of trails and trail use. But you're still doing it. And let's let's learn about well first let's let's learn in let's learn about the backstory in Adam 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 Adams and what really brought you from what you were doing into podcasting and then we'll roll into mountain biking. Cause I think those two tie together somehow. 
Yeah, the, they're two. They're two. Almost, they're like polar opposites, but I think they will tie into each other. Grew up in Utah, and plenty of trails out in in Utah, but I never used them. And yeah, there came a time. So I was a I was in track and field. I I was a runner. I actually set lots of school records, which is pretty rad. I I loved that. It was it was so much fun. And I was getting a little bit older, and I was in my twenties. I started doing uh, century rides on a on a skinny tire, and, um, and as well as getting into triathlon. In fact, one of my only tattoos ever is a swim bike run, uh, because it, because triathlons I thought were going to be the thing. And actually, when I was riding up, I'd, I'd go like 30, 40, 50, 60 miles up to like up like Provo Canyon to um, to like Park City, and then I would turn around and just coast home. It, it was, I put in the work to just turn around and coast home. And I would tell people that I was into biking and they would either think that I was, I had a motorcycle, which I didn't yet, or they would think that I was a mountain biker and they're like, that's so cool. You're a mountain biker. And I was this like, you're going to hate me, but I was this purist who would say something like, no, I'm not talking about a mountain, you mother effer. I'm talking about the real kind of biking on the road with tiny little skinny tires. And I always thought I would be afraid to mountain bike. I thought that would like taint me. But the thing is, when I moved to Colorado, I moved up to a place called Conifer and all of our roads are dirt roads, you know, with giant potholes, lots of rocks and things like that. And so I was doing CrossFit. And that's where I, I was like, I'm just going to go to CrossFit. This is perfect because I can't ride my skinny tire bike anywhere. And then 2020 happened, like as you kind of mentioned. And I said to myself, maybe I'll go buy a mountain bike. So I'm like, how much are mountain bikes? They're probably like 300 bucks. Uh, can I budget that? Can I budget 300? And I'm like, sure, I can. So I start looking. And I got this hardtail for 1200 bucks. It was a sticker shock. Absolutely. And a few months later, so I bought that on May 30th of 2020. And in August, I, I bought a full carbon, uh, a full suspension uh, mountain bike that, that is just my pride and joy. And, and I definitely want to get my money's worth out of it. So I've been riding like 12 rides a week, which sounds insane. Sometimes I'll go to Trestle Bike Park. And on my way home, after riding for a few hours, I'll be passing this place called Floyd Hill. And so I'll be like, oh, I'll just do one loop at Floyd. And then I'll, I'll get home. And then I bought both of my kids' mountain bikes. And so when we get home uh, at like 4 p.m. when they get home from school, I'll, be, I'll say to them, hey, let's go mountain biking. As far as podcasting goes, I, I've been a real estate investor for a long, long time. And when I moved here to Colorado, I determined that I needed to grow my network. And so I started a podcast and a meetup group here in, in Denver area. And uh, as I was growing those, it was really benefiting my, my company. It was really benefiting my business. I was able to get more deals, more off-market real estate deals. I was able to get more money for, for deals. Passive investors would just want to partner with us. And so I, I launched that podcast in 2017. And I ended up selling the podcast in late 2019. And um, in 2020, around the time I was mount started mountain biking, I started a company called Grow Your Show. 
to support other podcasters because I found that we had learned the algorithm. So um, I still do real estate investing. I still do, uh, but but it's not my main gig anymore. Helping podcasters is my main main thing. That and mountain biking. Yeah, and that's what brought you and I together. You know, we we recorded an interview last week for the uh, podcast on podcasting. And it's, it's funny because this is now three weeks of talking to you in a row. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, we're starting to become good friends now. We are. We need to ride together. That's what we need to do. We do. I need to get out of the Midwest and go West. Come to Trestle. It's, it's, on, my, it's on my list. It definitely is cool. on my list. And I think, I think I might actually be driving to Utah instead of flying. And so I'll be going probably through there, one direction nice. or the other. Yeah when I go there in, in June, you know, people get into mountain biking and then you got into mountain biking. And some, what I say, what I mean by that is people get into it casually. And especially, you know, in 2020, people got into it casually and still to this day, most hardcore mountain bikers aren't going to say that they ride 12 times a week. <laughs> so what, I don't know what the deal is. I love it so much. Yeah. Let's, let's dig into what, what has you hooked on it? and not only that, what's kept you coming back? Well, as you know, I used to do skinny tire triathlon and century rides. Um, here, here's the thing. The first time I rode a mountain bike, it was awful. Like I bought that hardtail and it's not the hardtail's fault. I actually like hardtails too. Um, but I bought that hardtail and we were in uh, Steamboat Springs and there's some really good trails there. And my lungs just weren't ready for climbing that much. And so I thought, wow, this is great exercise. Because I was doing CrossFit right before that, before CrossFit shut down. Uh, and I thought that I was in fairly good cardiovascular shape, but the mountain biking was different. So here, there's a few things that in human psychology that we all look for. We all look for things that are the same consistency. We all look for things that are different, variation. Uh, we all want to learn and grow, to have self-improvement. And mountain biking really checks those boxes strong for me. It's, it's my same bike. It's my same shoes. It's, but it's different trails. I can go to any different trail. It's, um, it's some of the same features, some, some same rock features or whatever. And each time, especially as somebody who's only been doing it for a couple of years, I learn and grow a ton. And I see what other people are doing, what lines they're taking, the, that they can do uh, wheelies and that they can do whatever else, what other tricks, uh, stoppies and who knows. Um, and I'm like, let me try that. And so I'm constantly able to be a better rider. Uh, I'm constantly able to, I used to walk this feature and did you see me just like ride past it? Like it was nothing. And all those people are looking at me now. And it's just a great feeling. It also checks the box of, of being outside in the sun, which you're getting your vitamin D, you're getting some healing properties, you're getting some additional energy. And so being outside makes me happy when I'm in the sun. Like I definitely feel that when I'm exercising and, and I definitely feel great after. But then again, 
it's it's the same thing. It's the variation. It trying new features, trying new things, trying this drop. Try like you go to a bike park or something, and it, you you do the you do the green trail, and then you you try the blue trail, and you're on that for several weeks, and then you're like, I'll try the black trail, and you suck at it, but you can you can do it, and you're not scared to go off some of those drops or or some of those doubles or whatever. And it's like, this is pretty cool, and I feel really good about myself. And yeah, there's just so much about it. Let's get into the weeds a little bit. You said you got, which I've said often to people, either you buy nice or you buy, or you buy twice or you buy nice when it comes <laughs> to mountain biking, which is something you did, you know? Yep. And I, I learned that early on when getting other people into mountain biking, cause they were, you know, they thought it was good, but then when they got on a really nice bike, which they probably couldn't justify spending the money on because we all have that sticker shack. We're like, it doesn't have a motor. How is it? Like, why is it so expensive, right? <laughs> yep. And then you ride it and you're like, oh, that's why it's this expensive. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, what, what you got on for equipment and then what type of riding you really like to do. And what I mean by what type of riding is it sounds like you go to bike parks. So are you really, are you more into bike park t- style riding or do you really enjoy longer? I call them adventure cross country riding where it's a good variation of up and down. I like the up and down better um i do some downhill park stuff like where you take the ski lift up or you might just shuttle uh last weekend we were in moab and we shuttled to the top of of some peaks twice and just rode like eight or nine miles mostly downhill it was a little cross country but you lose like a thousand elevation so it's for the most part it's it's pretty downhill i do the bike parks to not because it's my favorite, to be completely honest. I do go to bike parks, but I go because it's a great way of progressing my skill set. It there, it there, you can hit those same challenges, those same features, multiple, multiple times. And I don't think I progress necessarily as a rider as much by doing the trails up and down, but I prefer it. I I enjoy it a lot more. Um, there's a a trail called Three Sisters. It's approximately uh, three or four miles up and then three or four miles down. It's one of my absolute favorite trails. It's about 20 minutes from the house. I, I, I really, really, really enjoy that. Um, do you want me to talk about, you said, what my bikes are made of? What are the components and stuff like that? Well, when you upgraded from your hard, hardtail, what did you upgrade to? It is a Rocky Mountain. Um, Thunderbolt C70. It's a second to the top of the line. I uh, wasn't going to go top of the line. Uh, so Rocky Mountain C70, it's a trail bike, 140, 140. And the things that I've done to that bike, I've, I've put a, uh, what are, what it's, a, what's that guard underneath your chain ring to protect your chain ring? Oh, uh, bash chain guard. guard or, bash guard, bash guard. Yeah. So I, I, I did put one of those in cause I found myself going over uh, some things and and I did not want to ruin that that crank um, but additionally um, I I ride clipless pedals so instead of flats like I I at first when I was brand brand spanking new I was falling so much that I wouldn't have wanted to have to be clipped into my bike but now it just it, it feels comfortable it feels nice. Uh, I, I really, really like it. I haven't done 
I mean, it had a dropper post when I bought it, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but I certainly, that would have been a first thing to do. Um, it's already got really good, you know, one by 12 gearing. So I'm, I'm really happy with that. Uh, my other bike though, if, if you don't mind me saying after I tried to sell it for 800, I, I bought it for 12 and I tried to sell it for like 800 bucks and nobody would, the couple of people that saw it thought it was overpriced. So what I did instead is I put another 2000 into it. And so I, I got an oval chain ring. I got all purple components, uh, like an, a purple oval chain ring. Um, I, I, I just really decked that out. It used to have like a one by nine or one by seven, something like that. And I switched it to a full eagle gear in the, in the back. And uh, the only thing that that hardtail doesn't have is an upgraded fork. That's the, literally the every single thing else the tires, the wheels, the wheels and the tires have been upgraded like it's a monster, except that front fork is still one of the spring forks on, on my hardtail. But it's, it's been, uh, oh, and I put a dropper post. It didn't come with one. So that was, that was necessary. Absolutely. And I ride that one with flats only because I don't, I usually just ride with kids on really easy trails and I don't want to have to go and get my mountain bike shoes on. Uh, every time. So I, that one has purple uh, chesters on it as well to match everything else. The whole clips versus flats thing, that's a pretty, you can get into some pretty heated conversations <laughs> over that. And I could imagine, you know, especially since you came from the roadside and you, and you knew how clipless pedals functioned, you know, I'm a, I've, I've ridden clipless pedals for probably 25 years or more. And I, I personally believe in them because your feet always go into the same place every single time. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you, if you go off a feature, I mean, the, there's some really good pedals. Like the Chesters have like legit, uh, grip, right. Especially if, if, if you've got like the five ten shoes or whatever that are really sticky, but I don't ever want to slip a pedal, especially with Chesters. Like you're, you're going to lose your leg. Um, so for me, it's, it helps me with jumps. And that's one of the things that people are like, oh, you just need to learn how to jump. You just don't know how to jump if, if that's your, but it helps me if I'm going, if I'm in the air, I know that I'm going to land on that pedal every single time. And I have a lot more power. Yeah, I, I literally can tell that I have almost double power climbing when I have the clipless pedals on. Yeah. When you have the, the stiff sole and you're clipped in so you can pull up and push down, that definitely makes a huge difference. There's a yeah. reason why the top racers in all disciplines use them. <laughs> yeah, I love them. Uh, anyway. Well, you know, you're a newer rider and on the Trail Effect podcast, a lot of my listeners are trail builders or people that are in charge of getting or putting trails in communities. What are some of the things that you look for as far as a trail experience or what are the things that really speak to you that you've found and maybe you want to see more of? I'll say two things. I have noticed that a lot of trails, a lot of them, not all of them, certainly, but they work on making it as smooth as possible. And that's not really my style. I, I like techie up and techie down. I want, I want to almost fall when I'm going downhill. I want it to be scary. <laughs> I want to have lots of drops. So one thing that bothers me a little bit is, is 
the amount of effort that people go into to make it like a blue trail, you know, like as easy as possible or green trail as easy as possible. So I prefer more, more rocks, more stumps, more, uh, more roots, uh, the fun, fun stuff, more drops. That's one thing that for me personally. And the other thing that I was going to say is berms. There's a lot, I, I write a lot of trails that are, so it's, it's hard because if a trail is designated mostly for mountain bikers, it's going to have some berms, but if it's designated mostly for hikers, it's not going to have any, uh, but then you're going to have the more technical stuff on the hiking stuff. And, and so I want something in the middle. I want the berms. I want it to be easy to turn, but, uh, and to, can to keep my speed but they always go so flowy and they're proud of their flowy, but that's not my style. I'm not a flowy person. I just want, I want, I want the technical. That's my favorite. But, um, I would say, I would say depending on where you live and where it is, just having more trails would be better. Just opening up the sport to even more people because I told you about three sisters about 20, 20 minutes, 18 to 20 minutes away from, from me. I don't ride it all the time because I, I would, I've got one that's like not even six minutes. I've got one actually in my neighborhood. I've got another one about six or seven minutes. So that's all good. And I can, I can run out and, and get lots of, lots of biking in. So I, I guess if, a, if we had a third thing, it would be to have more trails built and available. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's a, it's always been an initiative, but it's really an initiative now with IMBA, the International Mountain Biking Association there. One of their main taglines is more trails close to home, you know, and, and having, and, and you coming from Park City or not Park City, you coming from Utah, Park City for years has had a motto of my garage is my trailhead. Yeah. You know, and that's such a, it's such an important part of this thing. And I've heard, you know, I get, I've gotten pushback locally from, you know, people that don't always want trails near their houses, you know, and, and the reality is, is that cause they're afraid that it's going to drive traffic and tourism into neighborhoods. But the reality is those, those trails are really for the community, the people that live in that neighborhood and, and they really do serve a good purpose, you know, for the yeah. people that are, that are close to it. Yeah. I've been really enjoying the ones that are close, but they're just, they're not at the style of riding. They're more like greenish trails. It's, it's some climb, but, they're, but they're just fairly easy. And it would be, I would be so happy to know that more States would follow Imba's thing, you know, and, and have their garage being their trailhead or having it close to home. Uh, because it allows you to be able to ride more often. It takes away some of the excuses. Um, is it a 20 minute drive there and back? That's an, that's, that's 40 more minutes on top of what it could be if, if you were in park city and your garage was your trailhead. So. Yeah. We're going to go just a little bit deeper on trails before we back off. And this is uh you're going to like this you, as a podcaster and a person who's Listen to Dave Jackson. You're going to understand this, but we're going to, this is a take on, on one of Dave Jackson's things, which is because of trails, Dave says, because of my podcast. Yeah. Well, 
it's it's funny because with with COVID and everything, um, and all of the gyms getting shut down completely, I gained a crazy amount of weight. I just I felt lethargic and sluggish and horrible. And so that was my catalyst, and I'm really grateful for it. But my whole life has been changing since. I would go to the CrossFit gym for like an hour, and and um, it would be it was fun. I enjoy it. I like the competition, but it would be more like the thing that I was supposed to do so that I could be in shape. But because of trails, I'm in the absolute best shape of my whole life now today after two years of, of riding and getting out in the sun more often than even when I was 26. And, you know, I just, I feel way better, way happier. Uh, it's random because I'm also, because of trails, I'm nicer to my kids. It's like the dumbest thing that you could ever say, but it is literally true. My health, my happiness, my fitness, the amount of sleep that I get now, the, the, that I drink less alcohol because I have this other uh, vice of mountain biking. It's, I'm a better dad. Uh, I, my business is thriving more than it ever has. So I can, I can put so much of my new found lifestyle and happiness and health because of trails. Yeah. And that is so true. And I can, I agree with all those points, especially the better dad part where I live in Wisconsin and we had a pretty rough, uh, spring and somehow we went from having the furnace on to having the air conditioning on in like a day. So now it's, you know, it was 40 last week and it's 90 now. <laughs> wow. But you know, that whole, the spring this year for me was, it was tough because it was raining. We couldn't get on trails cause they were muddy and like the instant you can get out and get into nature, it's like you come home as a whole different person. I'm with you 100% on that. I feel it. Let's zoom out a little bit into trail communities because that's another important aspect of this podcast. It sounds like you've traveled some. You live, in a, you live in a state that really embraces mountain biking. You grew up in a state that really embraces mountain biking, both being Utah and Colorado. Or maybe I should say those backwards, Colorado and Utah. What do you look for in trail communities, either from a, a living perspective or from a perspective of, hey, I want to I take a vacation here? Like, what kind of amenities do you look for? And what do you look for in the types of trails they offer? Well, I go to Moab a lot. And I go to like Park City with my brother and, and we do the downhill or we do the other ones. I guess, I guess I'm bad at answering this question, but I'll say my answer is, I look for recommendations from friends. I look for trails that they think I need to hit in St. George, need to hit in Moab, need to hit in Hurricane, need to hit in. If they say, oh, you got to try this one. That's one of the things that I seem to look for. One thing that I absolutely despise, <laughs> to be completely honest, is riding up a fire road. Just a fire road. By myself without a car shuttling. And uh, it's like, this it's it's not technical it just it's just steep um and sometimes i'm like i don't even know if this is going to be worth it so as i went to puerto vallarta and i booked a mountain biking trip with the number one 
guy in Puerto Vallarta at mountain biking. I guess he's famous out there. Um, so he took me up, but it was a, it was, I don't know, a five mile fire road up. And I just, I was like, so done with it. And, and I'm like, is this what the whole trail is going to be like, or is it going to actually be fun? But when we finally got on the downhill part, it was pretty legit. Like it was, it was, it was flowy. It was technical. There was a few drops. Uh, it was steep. Uh, it was, it was challenging. I had to walk my bike once. Uh, so it was, it was really good, but it, I guess I look for recommendations. I look for what other people say is a good trail. And then I'm a, I'm kind of that ADD, ADHD person who always wants to try something new. So if you say it's good, that's good enough for me. I, I have to try it now. Yeah. And I'm with you on the whole climbing fire roads thing with one butt. This spring, and I've talked about this quite a bit, this spring I took a trip to the southeast, both to Tennessee and to western North Carolina. And I went to a bike park specifically in western North Carolina, and there was two ways to the top. It was a gravity bike park. This is a non-shuttleable, non-lift service bike park. So you either ride up the greenish blue trail to the top, or you ride up the service road. And I thought for certain, like, I'm just going to I'm going to do laps riding this greenish blue tr single track trail back to the top. Well, after a couple, because it took longer, <laughs> after a couple of those laps, I'm like, you know what? I'm really only here to go down. I'm going to go up the double track because I can get there quicker. And then I'm really yeah. just going to focus on the downs. And so I've kind of, kind of gone the other way, but I'm like you, like, I want to be on trails, legit trails, not gravel roads, not service roads for pretty much all my riding. Yeah. I think if you're looping like that and you, you can't take a car, I think it does probably make sense. I would even probably walk it. I would probably just like walk it, save the energy, stay at, at low calories and then, and then ride down. But um, at the, at, usually at the bike parks, I, I don't mind that little, that little uphill just to, be able to, just, just to be able to hit more laps and get more features and more practice and more experience on some of these things. So one of the things you, you haven't talked about, and it's in Colorado, is have you, have you ridden in Western Colorado at all, you know, in the Grand Junction or Fruta area? I have done Fruta one time. I went on a mountain bike trip to St. George like three weeks ago. And um, as I was driving home, it was like we were able to have lunch in St. George. And I was crossing the border from Utah to Colorado. And I was calling my buddy who lives in Moab and I'm like, Hey, do you want to go biking? But he didn't answer. So I said, if you don't answer, I'm going to Fruta. <laughs> so anyway, he, uh, he didn't answer. And my buddy Tate, who's uh, a multifamily investor and a podcaster and a mountain biker and a skier. Uh, those are the four things he probably identifies with. Um, I just said, Hey, I'm going to Fruta. Have you been there? He goes, yes, you have to do this and this and this. So yeah, I, I have been. Um, and the one that he had me do was PBR, uh, pumps, bumps, and rollers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, I didn't like it as much as, as I expected to like it because I couldn't get the, to the speed to hit any of the doubles or, or, or anything. So I feel, like, I feel like I was just a far inferior rider for PBR. I could ride it. I could go down it, but I couldn't hit any of the doubles or, or 
uh, I would case like all, most of the landings or not even hit it at all. And I was going pretty fast. And I just thought to myself, I honestly, I was like, I don't even think this is built that well. So he, I didn't say anything to him. Usually I'm like, thank you so much. That was so rad. And, and I didn't, I just didn't text him. And he goes, what did you think of that trail? And I'll, I'll say, I, I, I had a good time. I'm glad I went, but I will be honest. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to hit any of those feet. I wasn't able to like, um, I cased every landing. And, uh, and he's like, well, I do too. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I don't know. I just don't think that that one trail was for me. Um, the up was fine. It was a little long for what I was expecting, but the, the down was very flowy and I couldn't, I couldn't hit all the features. When I go to, um, when I go to Trestle, they've got, I'm trying to think what it's called. If it's, I don't, I don't remember the trail right now, but, um, but I, I actually can hit and they're way bigger. Like they're way bigger. Uh, um, what do you call it? It's not called a single. What do you call a tabletop? So I was able to, I was able to get through every single tabletop at, at Trestle, but at this place, I, I couldn't hit any, I cased everything. So I, I need to try more of it. I've only been that one time, but I was a little disappointed to be completely honest. They were beautiful trails, very well-maintained, like some of the most gorgeous signs that you've ever seen. They're brand new. Uh, I just didn't really like the trail so much. It's funny. The first time I went to Fruta, I parked next to a guy. This is back in, I don't know, say 2009. And I asked him, I said, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Moab. Like, what are you doing here? What? Goes, I'm avoiding the crowds. <laughs> it was a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got some friends that, that live in that area and there's a new trail that was built and I don't, I don't have personal knowledge of it, but I've had a couple of the people that have been in charge of that build. And it's a trail called the Palisade Plunge and it goes from the Grand Mesa down and down to Grand Junction. And it, so it drops 6,000 feet. What? But here's the thing. And so, in fact, the, the podcast that I'm actually currently editing that will come out next week, before, which will be before this show airs, is with the guy that was with the main project manager for the company that built it. And, you know, he's, he knows there's been some not perfect reviews on it, but when people see that it drops 6,000 feet, they just expect a full-on downhill experience. But it's also 32 miles long, mm. you know, so that's like an average grade of like 3%. So there's actually a considerable amount of climbing in it, you know? So I think, you know, and, and his takeaway is that, you know, this is, and it was, it's like, it was a feat. Like they had to hike all of their stuff in to build. Did they you ride it? Out. I haven't ridden it yet. It just opened last summer. I'm hoping I can ride it th this summer. If, if you do it at the end of the year, I'll, I'll be there for sure. I, I don't think I can ride 32 miles today. I, I just, I think I can do 15 pretty easy, maybe 20, but 32, uh, I would die. So if you do it at the end, call me, I'm coming. Yeah, we'll, de we'll definitely connect for that. But I, this is definitely something that you, uh, you should look into if I can't get out there because it's, it's a, it's an experience. It's got some of the most epic views from what I've been told. It's, and it's just, it's a really good trail experience, but it's not a downhill experience, which I think is what some people get hung up on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of like what we did in Moab when we, we, we dropped uh, at the top of this hill or whatever and did like eight miles. It was a thousand drop, but it was, it was more cross country. Like you were, 
you still have a lot of climbing. You still, your quads are going to feel it for sure. And I, th- I think it's like that, but just on steroids at 30 plus miles. Before we get into the bonus content and what I'm going to refer to as the bonus content, which is, is the podcasting side of this podcast and, and really where your wheelhouse is in a professional world, let's go into something that I like to call famous failures. And I know some people when I ask this question too, they kind of go a little sideways. Okay. And the reality is, I don't think anyone that's found a lot of success hasn't also had a fair amount of failure in trials in figuring out what the right thing to do is. So in your, either in mountain biking or in business, wherever, it could be from anywhere. I just, I want to illustrate that with success does come failure. So what is one of your famous failures? And I don't mean famous as in like it made the news, but something that sticks out in your head, you know, as something that like, oh, I really learned something good from that and I won't do that again. Man, there's so many. I want it to be relevant to your listener, but the only one that I can think of might not be in my real estate investing side. I've been real estate investing since 2005. And I started doing something called syndication, where you raise money from lots of other people and you buy these big deals and there's passion investors and general partners. Uh, I had my podcast about real estate investing and I was an influencer in that space. And so it was important for me as an influencer to make sure that I was helping people, that I was doing good things, that, that, that I was practicing what I preach. That, that part is what you need to remember, that I was practicing what I preach. So I would tell people to make sure that they vet their operators, like do a good job at making sure that the person that you're putting your money with, that they're going to be able to protect your capital. Like when we invest in Coca-Cola and Apple, we might be fairly comfortable that we're going to get a return, that, that it's going to work out. But if we invest in like the, a brand new cryptocurrency, it could go to zero. And this is what I was talking about on my podcast, that you need to vet people appropriately to make sure that your money doesn't go down to zero. Because when you, if you invest with the wrong person, it, it could. And then this happened literally two times. Almost, almost identical. Um, I, we couldn't find a deal on our own. We couldn't find a deal fast enough. And our investors, our private lenders were chomping at the bit, wanting to pl- place money. And so we made a decision that we were going to uh, align with another operator that was in the same space and raise that money, attract that capital and put our our past investors' money into it. And then we get a portion of the general partnership. We get some of the ownership. We get some of the cash flow and some of the appreciation. And two times, I didn't vet the person. One of the times I didn't vet the person, even though I preach it on my podcast that you have to do this, it's critically important. And I teach exactly how. I didn't twice. The first time was because the guy that I was going to partner with had already partnered with lots of other influencers. And I'm expecting that they know what they're supposed to be doing. And one of them probably vetted him. It turns out that we had one of our past investors who's doing like 350000 of their own money to go into that one deal. They listen to my podcast. And on the podcast, I tell you, I tell people that you've got to do this. And so the guy vets the other operators besides me, because he had already vetted us. 
He starts vetting these other operators. And then he finds an LLC as one of the owners. It, it's, the, it's a little suspicious because it's the only non-human. It's an LLC. And we, he does some digging, finds out that that LLC is owned by another LLC. And he does some digging and finds out that that LLC is owned by somebody who has committed securities fraud. Securities fraud meaning that they raised money inappropriately. They did something wrong. So this guy had cheated people out of millions of dollars uh, several years before and was not allowed by the SEC. He's not allowed to ever be on the general partnership again. That's why he hid it with an LLC under an LLC. So my past investor finds this out and he was my biggest investor for that deal. And we had already raised all of our money. And the guy, uh, he reaches out to me. His name's Rocco. Rocco reaches out to me and he's like, hey, did you know this? And I'm like, no. He goes, you didn't practice what you preach? And I'm like, no, he's supposed to be legit on the up and up. So we end up pulling out of this deal after my company was going to make $200,000 a week from then. We were going to have two more hundred thousand dollars in the bank, one more week. And my past investor looks at this, and I call the guy, and I and I confront him. I'm like, "Is this you?" He goes, "Yeah, that's me." And uh, and he goes, "And that's why I'm not on the LLC because uh, the lender wouldn't let me. I had to be like two two steps removed." And I'm like, "Well, so did you really commit fraud?" securities fraud violate this? He goes, oh yeah, we did. We cheated people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars and I only had to go to jail for two years. It was great. And I'm like, what the hell, man? So I almost partnered with this Jack A, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on your podcast or not, but I almost, uh, uh, I almost partnered with this guy and it happened one more time with this other person. I, I won't name names, but this other person, he was speaking at a conference, a real estate conference. And he was really well known by the owner of that real estate conference and the owner of an educational company. And he's well-connected and he had been doing lots of deals. So I never vetted him either. I, I just, after that one, I still didn't vet this guy. I still didn't learn my lesson. And uh, we find out that one of the people says, Adam, I think you should take a look. At, I, I was sending out emails to people to let them know that they could invest. One of the one person said, Adam, I think you should look into that guy. Um, that's all I'm going to say. And I'm like, what do you mean? Look into that guy. He goes, maybe just talk to some people that have worked with him in the past. And I'm like, like passive investors or active investors? He, he goes, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Talk to anyone that's worked out, worked with this guy. So I start calling people and nobody's wanting to put him under the bus. But I find out that he's committing securities fraud right then and there. He was borrowing from one of his properties that was making lots of money to pay off debts for a different company that was in financial turmoil. And, um, and all of the general partners that worked with him said they wouldn't work with him again. And some of the past investors said that he's, he's not very good. So we had to back out of that one too and lose like 150000 and so I ran with my tail between my legs. And here's the, here's the part that I think will be valuable to anyone. At the end of both times, I went on my podcast and I shared the truth. I shared the, the vulnerability. I shared that I like was 
almost going to make this mistake again, right? And both times, huge takeaway, both times I got the most significant amount of people that had listened to the podcast, but had never invested with us or, uh, or even talked to us, reach out and say, now that you've been this person, uh, even though you made this horrible mistake and almost cost people money, I trust you more and I want to put my money with you. It was the weirdest thing, but I think it does have a good lesson. And I know it doesn't have much to do with mountain biking or really even that much podcasting, except for just being yourself, honest and vulnerable and transparent uh, through a podcast. But I, I've learned a ton and I will actually never make that mistake again. Two is enough. Well, I do know that I have uh, two real estate investors as, as listeners for the show. So they, uh, they will at least appreciate the story. But I think a lot <laughs> of people could take a lot from that because- there's a lot to unpack there. And that is, that is definitely a good piece of knowledge. And that's, that's one of those things that I'm exactly talking about when I ask people the question. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, let's get into the bonus content. You know, you, you've kind of already alluded to the fact that you had a real estate podcast before you did the podcast on podcasting and grow your show. Let's dig into why you took the turn into getting more into podcasting and what podcasting actually is for you. Yeah. Well, in 2016, I started wanting to have the podcast. It didn't launch until 2017. Um, soon after, many people that wanted to have a podcast, they obviously reach out to other people that are already doing it. And so you might not have a company, Josh, in the podcasting space, but I'm at least 95% sure that you've had one or two people ask you, how do I get started? What do I do? What did, I, what did you learn? And that happened to me. Um, that happened to me. I'd go to real estate conferences and somebody would come up and say, man, your podcast is just crushing it. Can you give me some tips? And I'm the type of person, I'm, I'm a little thorough. When I try to give like uh, tangible advice, I, I want to give you every detail that you can really take. So that's what I would do. I would, I would spend hours with people at conferences, just at the side of the room, pouring into them and writing down a whole plan for their launch and for how many episodes and what, what questions they should ask and who their avatar was. And it was, it, I never thought I would make money with podcast. I never thought like that. I had a podcast, but it was to grow my influence. And I kept helping people and then their podcast would launch and they would get ranked uh, on the new and noteworthy. They would be, be ranked in top 1% of all podcasts in the whole world after just a few weeks of launching. And everybody kept telling people, you've got to go to Adam if you're going to start a podcast because he gives you completely free advice and it always works. And my, my coach that I'm actually going to St. Louis um, next week uh, after this Mexico trip, uh, in St. Louis, this guy, his name is uh, Sean McCloskey, my coach, started telling me that I have to charge for it. So in 2019, I go, all right, we will start charging for this. And I didn't know how much to charge. So I charged 10000 for a minute, and then I charged 40000 and then I charged monthly payments. I just kept moving it and like uh, changing it. It was because... I had helped a lot of people that ended up getting a lot of success, significant success for free. 
And then I started that in 2019. And I'll say this, I'm so flipping glad that I did because in 2020, as of March of 2020, my whole, I had over a hundred million dollars of real estate, like not just me, but with partners. And I was, I was, I was like, uh, financially free. I had made enough. I was making enough money every month or every quarter to pay all the bills without worrying about it. But in 2019, I started this as like a little side hustle because I thought it would be beneficial. But in 2020, we stopped distributions for over 1,400 units that I owned, like different apartments throughout the country. Not one of them was paying me anymore. I went from like plenty of money and basically retired to to being really grateful that I had started this podcast agency to support podcasters. Now we're back into distribution. So we're getting uh, distributions every quarter, or every month on our, on our properties. We're back in, in the black again, but for about a year and a half, if I didn't have serving podcasters as something to fall back on to add to it, I would have been, I, I would have lost my properties. I would have lost my house. I would have lost uh, my credibility, my my integrity, uh, not my integrity, my credibility and my, uh, what's, what's the other word for that? Uh, my, I would just been embarrassed is what I would, I would have been really embarrassed because uh, uh, 2020 hit us hard in our real estate company. That perfectly goes into the next question I was going to ask you, which is, you know, you're, you're working in the podcast space. Obviously monetization is something you just got done talking about. And I think, and as you know, I'm, newer at this, a lot newer than you are, but I, and, and you know this, I've been exploring the whole monetization angle for a little while now and going back and forth. Cause for me, it was a side hustle also. And, you know, I just want to do it to do it. Right. But the reality is, is that we're providing value to people. Right. And so, and I think there's something in podcasting that's really doing podcasting at a service, which is the whole CPM model. Let's yeah. go into as a, you know, as a person who may want to, as a company that may want to advertise with podcasting and we're, I want to more go into sponsorship and stuff like that than the CPM model, but I think you have to explain the CPM model for it to make sense okay. to people. Yeah. Let's, let's go into like, what is the, what is the value that you see with podcasts and where do you think it's going? Cause I don't think, well, everything I've seen, we're barely scratching the surface yet. I just recorded an episode on my podcast. It's going to be aired or maybe by the time this is out, maybe it will have already aired. Who knows? It's around episode 231 to 237-ish. Um, it's going to be an odd... It, anyway, it's on the podcast on podcasting. If somebody's like really wanting to dive into this subject, you and I had a call. We talked a little bit about CPMs. We talked a little bit about um, at monetizing a show. And then actually I had a, a guest come back on the show a second time. The first time she talked about how she got 100,000 downloads. The second time, she talked about how she got her very first sponsor. And on that episode that she and I were recording together, she talked about how she was getting $20 CPM. And I, it drove me freaking bonkers because I'm like, you're leaving, you could be getting 1,000 CPM, $1,000 per meal, per, um, per thousand downloads. You could be getting a dollar a download. Easy. And she, she's like 50 times what I'm getting now. And so I go, I'm going to record an episode. So that ends up being in the, probably the episode one, 230 range, 
231, 239, who knows. Point is, it goes into detail on CPM and how you can not, how you will be able to not have to get that $20 CPM. In short, though, CPM model just means per thousand downloads, you get a certain amount of money. And that's a thing that I try to tell people not to think about. Normally, when you're going to be getting CPM, norm, that's an advertiser reaching out to you. That's, a, that's somebody who already knows that they want to sponsor podcasts and they've already looked it up and they've heard that people get anywhere from $5 per thousand downloads per episode, per thousand downloads per ap- episode, up to $60, but it's usually 20 or 30 bucks. And so they, they find this out and then what they'll do is they'll offer like 10 bucks CPM and then they'll go and reach out to as many podcasters as they can in their genre and until one of them counters it with, with 15 or 20. And then they'll be like, okay, I'm going to do 20. So if you are trying to monetize and you're letting them come to you for, with the CPM model, you're absolutely going to leave money on the table. You're going you're gonna to lose money lose out on income that you really could have. So with her, I, I, was, I wanted her to be able to change that. So I created a new episode just on that. But the point is, you've got to be, the points are, you've got to be the one to reach out to them. If you reach out to this person, that's one way of, of improving how much you can get paid. Second is, you got to know who they are, know what they want, and you can ask questions like a salesperson. He who asks good questions controls the conversation. As a salesperson, you need to understand the ins and outs of what they're working on, what they're worried about, how much money they put to other advertising places. And you'll have the ability to then offer this and say, I'm, I'm going to do this for, uh, as a 12-month contract, and it'll just be five grand a month. So that'd be about 60 grand. So this is called price anchoring, price anchoring. 12, 12 months, five grand a month, um, and it, it'll, it'll just be five grand. So it'd be about 60 grand. But what I want to do with you is I really want somebody who's a trail builder to, to manage my, to, to sponsor the podcast because it's something I believe in. So with you, uh, what I'm going to wanted to offer is if we just did it for six months and just said like 2000, you could be my main sponsor. And if it works out for both of us, then we can go into the normal five grand a month. What do you think about that? And now you're making two grand a month and you only have, let's say, a thousand downloads per episode. So your CPM is like uh, much closer to $500 per CPM that way. Uh, Anyway, how to monetize? I would say reach out to your sponsor, give them a pitch kind of like that uh, and have three levels of sponsorship. And what we're talking about with the three levels is 10% of people will generally pick the highest level because they want the best. They deserve the best. They want their friends to know that they paid the most. So 10% of people always do the top one. 10% of people usually will do the smallest one because they want a good deal. They still want that service with that person. They still want that relationship with that person, but they want to feel like they got a good deal and they're frugal. They're good people because they're not overspending. About 80% of the people will pick your middle package. So if you're looking to sponsor a podcast, if you're, I mean, if you're looking to monetize your podcast, then what you can do is have the middle package be the one that you absolutely want people to do, make it very compelling, and then have the package above that only give slightly more things 
but for way more cost and have your lowest one only give slightly less cost, but way less things. So it's a no-brainer to pick the middle one anyway. Uh, that's, that's a suggestion that I have is create a sponsorship packet like that where you got the three different levels. I, I can go into more detail if you want me to because I can geek out on this. I enjoy it, but I, I know I want to be resp- uh, respectful too. Let's geek out on, you know, just selling the podcast model in general. Like what, the, what value people get from podcasts? Because there's still so many people that don't really know where that value comes in. And I personally believe the value is in the long form media and the details that you get out of listening to a podcast. That's, that's my opinion of it. But what do you, you know, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, some of the value that our clients get or, and that I get, um, one of them that wouldn't have ever been expected for most people, um, is the networking. It's really interesting because people, people, when they think about a podcast, they think they, that most seem to think the only value would be the listener base. But I, I disagree. In many cases, a podcast can be successful if you have zero listeners. And that comes from the people that you're having on your podcast. It, to give you a, um, a story about it, a short story, there's this guy named Joe Fairless. He's also in the real estate space. He, he has a daily podcast and I was never on his radar. I was never on Joe's radar. He, he was always this untouchable person to me. And I'm friends now with uh, Hal Elrod. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I, I text Hal on his birthday, text him on his freaking phone. He's the author of a million, uh, he sold millions of copies of Miracle Morning. And I text Hal, I text uh, 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 Joe. When I had a question for real estate stuff, I know Joe did it a certain way. So I text him and he's like, here's my, here's my CPA. He can tell you how to do it. And so I was able to get, on, get connected with his CPA like that. That networking has extremely amount of benefits that we don't see right now. I can get on Hal's podcast and he has millions of listeners, right? There's just so much that can happen. It, you, you, you're also increasing the level of people that you hang around with. If you, if you ever heard, you're the average of the five person, five people you hang around with the most. Well, as a podcaster, you naturally elevate those five people. I can call people and ask them advice. I can call people and get them on my show. I can call people and get on their show. When you have a podcast and you're an influencer in a way, sometimes I hate saying that word, but when you have influence, you have the ability to pick people's brains, learn things. You might, who knows? I'll, I'll pretend that you're, a, that you're doing this selfishly, Josh. We'll just pretend for a second. You can ask me anything you want about CPM models on your podcast and I'm going to answer it and you got free advice. I charge $500 for coaching for one 45-minute call and you, you can ask whatever you want and it's for free. I can do that with attorneys. I can bring on attorneys in for, for all sorts of different things, CPAs, and pick their brain and everybody benefits, but I can selfishly not have to spend $500 for their time. Um, so those are some of the benefits. Others are that if, even if you have very few listeners, you have the ability to share it with somebody new. I shared my podcast once. At, I was at this conference 
And I shared this, my show with this guy named Siva. Uh, Siva was a past investor. And I found a way to just say something like, oh, if you listen to episode 242 of my podcast, which was the other podcast, episode 242 was all about finding markets. And he, he was talking about markets. And I go, oh, I've got a really good resource for you. If you go to 242, uh, and he goes, you've got a podcast? And I'll, I gained a little bit of credibility in his eyes immediately because I had a show. Secondly, he listened. He's an engineer. He's a bridge engineer. So the guy isn't, isn't going to be sold on me immediately. He's going to do his homework. He listened to 60 of those episodes. And he called me and he says, Adam, I want to invest all my money with you. I like you. I've listened to 60 of your episodes. And he might have been my only listener that month, right? And I got that benefit because I, I, as networking, I gained a little bit of credibility and he listened to it and he got to know me without me being in the room. I did talk to him that one time, but now he's learning more about me consuming my content. And even if it was just that one listener, he became, Siva became our biggest investor. He invested multiple times and uh, he's flown out multiple times and he's uh, let people know about us. And so it just snowballs. I, I, can, I can keep going and going and sharing story after story. There's so much benefit that we get from podcasting. I'll say one, one more. I have the podcast on podcasting and my guests are generally podcasters. Almost one in six guests that I have schedule a discovery call to work with us. They don't all hire us, but almost one in six guests will be like, well, I like Adam. I got to know Adam. In many cases, I'll be on there just like with you. I'm on your show, you're on mine. And we're connecting a little bit more and they've actually ended up hiring us. So I can, I can pinpoint more than, more than $50,000 a month. Let that sink in. Of revenue, forget CPM. I can, I can pinpoint that we've, we've made 50000 a month several times, several months, because I have a podcast and have interviewed people. Again, even if I didn't have one single listener, those people that I'm connecting with are getting to know me, I'm getting to know them, and they might just ask, how do I work with you? I like you. And we've made a lot of money for it, even though, even if we didn't have uh, any listeners. so. I want to be very respectful of your time, but do you have time for one other question? Because we're an hour Actually, let in. Let me double check. Yes, I do. Okay. Let's flip, this, let's flip this model the other way. And that is the value of podcasts for potential sponsors of podcasts and what companies or businesses get out of partnering with podcasts to get their to get more well-known or to get the, adver the advertising dollars and what they want to get out of being partnered with the podcaster. Yeah. You know, it's funny because on that episode that I mentioned, that's going to probably air in the 230s, like 231 or 237, something like that. Um, in that episode, one of the things that I mentioned was other types of advertising. So we, we, we can look at YouTube ads, we can look at Facebook ads, we can look at Instagram ads, we can do, look at LinkedIn ads, we can look at direct mail, we can look at sponsoring uh, an event. And so any of, any of these things that I look at, um, I sponsored an event 
I end up spending I, around $25,000. I don't remember if it was 24 or 26, but the point is around 25 grand to sponsor this event and get in front of um, you know my perfect avatar. But I didn't get to talk to everybody that was there. When, when I'm at the event, they only talk to me if they walk by my booth and are interested. And other than that, it's, it's, it ends after that. So I spend like 25,000 ish. And then, um, and then, and then it's over. I, I think I got a couple of clients. We barely broke even from that, from that event. Well, so let's look at direct mail. When we do direct mail, it's going to cost money for the paper to be printed on both sides. If you have color, it's gonna, that's going to cost. If you've got an envelope, that's going to cost more money. And if you want to stamp and actually d- it to get somewhere, it's going to cost money. So easily going to cost you at least a dollar a person to send direct mail. But again, the drawback is most people that do direct mail, they send it to like a pocket, like one uh, general neighborhood or a couple of neighborhoods or one state. But two things, people throw that away immediately. They never see it again. Additionally, though, not everybody's your avatar. Like you don't know who you're getting in front of there. So you're wasting a dollar a person, a thousand CPM, by the way, a thousand CPM, a thousand per thousand if it's a dollar per letter. Um, and you don't even know if you're getting in front of people. Same thing with Facebook ads and, and some of these others. LinkedIn ads are even more expensive, but most people don't know how to use a Facebook ad, let alone get in front of the right audience, let alone have a good, compelling offer. When you're a sponsor and you could align with a podcaster, the benefits to you are most of the case, most of the times that you're actually going to be spending a little less than 1,000 CPM. But even if you pay 1,000 CPM, compare it to, the to I spent $20,000 to go to this one, $25,000 to go to this one conference. And there was probably 1,500 people. I spent like a dollar and a half, a dollar and 40 cents per person that was there, but they didn't all see me. They didn't all walk past my booth. And so when we're looking at uh, getting into the earballs on, on a podcast, and even if it's $1,000 per thousand downloads, which is at, uh, probably at the high point, right? It's, it's a point that I think would be good for both people, for both parties. Here's some of the benefits. Number one, you can get yourself on like six months of, of times. Um, they say that it takes six to 13 impressions for you to finally win over your, uh, your prospect. They've got to see your message six to 13 times. Well, with direct mail, if we're talking a dollar per letter, that becomes $6. Um, when we're talking about uh, a podcast, you can easily get on six different episodes They'll never throw that shit away. At the end, at the end, what's going to happen is more people are going to download that in 10 years from now and you're still getting more exposure. Um, so it's, you have the ability for all of those things. And my favorite part though, is that you can niche down to your exact avatar and not waste money getting in front of randos. You, you, are, you are putting your money, if it's for your mountain bike podcast, in front of people that literally care about trails. Every listener cares about that. They're bought in. They listen to multiple episodes. And if you're going to sponsor it, you're going to be able to get in front of those people more and more and build that relationship of trust with six to 13 times, much, much easier. 
And one of my favorite things can be that it can be a host read ad. All this means is I already trust Josh because I listen to Josh. I've, I listen to the podcast. I hear you. I keep coming back to the podcast. If Josh is going to say I need to use an oval chain ring, I'm going to buy an oval chain ring. You know, if Josh says that, that I need to volunteer for trail building, I'm going to go and volunteer because I believe in him. It's not cold anymore. All of these other things are cold. But when it's, when it's Josh reading and saying, use Adam's podcasting agency, then that way they already trust you and they're going to trust me faster than the six to 13 times. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, that's perfect. And it's funny that you use a direct mailer analogy because I got a direct mailer in the mail yesterday for regenerative therapy so I could feel young again. And I know I'm in my mid forties, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it, yeah. I don't want to get on another tangent, but no, we don't have to. Anyway. I just it was an example of I threw it away, like folded yep. it in half, threw it away, recycled it. Yeah, that, and I think that happens a lot with uh, with direct mail. So, well, before we wrap this thing up, do you have any closing comments or words of wisdom or anything you'd like to? part with as far as, you know, letting the listeners go with something good. Obviously, I mean, this whole thing has been really good, but. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'll just say, try to get out on your bike a little bit more. It doesn't matter. Like maybe you're doing it daily. You could do it two times a day. It, it's amazing. The, um, I, here's the interesting thing with like, um, sunrise and sunset. If you're out at those times, it does so much to your body, your energy, your, your sleep schedule. So I would say, don't be afraid to ride your bike more. Well, thank you, Adam. And where can people find you? I will obviously put everything as far as links and stuff in the show notes, but you know, you could also tell people where they can find you as well. Yeah, sure. Our website is growyourshow.com. And if they'd like to check out the podcast on podcasting, it's free and they can find it wherever they're finding your show. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature Terry Coddington, the NICA League Director for the State of Arkansas. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Also, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. This is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Giants Ridge Bike Park and Ride the Range, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Fact, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>